As we get into the Word of God today, I want us to consider the promise keeper. The promise keeper. I think we could all understand that there's many times in our life where we promised to do something and we didn't do it. So we broke our promise. And I, I would have to be one that would have to say, that's me. I'm sure you would be on that list as well. But when we go to the book of uh, God's book, the Word of God, we find that our God is a promise keeper that never fails. He never goes back on a promise. We won't look at all of the promises in the Word of God. I'm told there are some 8,800 in the Bible. I know some have found more potentially than that, but I'll tell you a little bit about that in a minute. But the Bible does have much to say about promises. By the way, they are not there just so that we can read and say, oh, that's nice. They're there so that we can read and say, that's for me. I need that promise. I claim that one for me. I claim that one for my family. I claim that one for this church. And these are promises that are there, not just for the sake of being there, but they're there for our encouragement and admonition. You may have heard of the missionary J. Hudson Taylor, who started the China Inland Mission. J. Hudson Taylor went to the bank one day, and he was trying to open up an account for the China Inland Mission there in the great city of Brighton, England. And on the application, the application said, please list your assets. What are your assets? And Mr. Taylor put 10 pounds and the promises of God. And I want you to know that whether you have $10 today or $1 today, you do have the promises of God. And they are of greater value than any bank account or lack thereof can give us. This same man, J. Hudson Taylor, would write a letter to his wife one day, and he would say this in the letter, we have 25 cents, so he must have lost some of those 10 pounds, and he said, we have 25 cents and all the promises of God. Isn't that beautiful? And so that's, our, that's not just for J. Hudson Taylor, he's long been with the Lord, but that's for you and for me this morning on this brand new Sunday of a brand new month. We have the promises of God as well. Heavenly Father, please help us in this hour to be encouraged, challenged about this theme. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me give you just by way of introduction several pillars. This is not the outline, but I want to give you several pillars, four of them exactly, that the promises of God are built on. What are the promises of God built on? Number one, the promises of God are built on His holiness. His holiness. Uh, let's see, there's nobody in here that is like God in His holiness. Now, we are told to be ye holy, for I am holy, but we're never going to be at that level uh, of, of God in this body when it comes to holiness. So, th the promises of God are built entirely different on a foundation different than what my promises or your promises are built on. And so, number one, His holiness, meaning God never deceives. God never deceives. Second pillar that they are built on are, is the grace, His grace. He will never forget. He will never forget. I was being teased already this morning in the men's prayer meeting. Uh, we couldn't remember something, and so everybody was saying, well, you're 50 now, so you can't remember things. That's just the way it goes. And I thought, oh, really? Is that all it took? Uh, what was my excuse when I was 49? But anyway, God never forgets His promises. Number three is the truth, 
They are built on truth, meaning he will never change. He will never change. Hebrews 13, 8 says, Jesus Christ the same yesterday and today and forever. And so they're built on truth. And number four, by way of introduction, they are built on power. In other words, there is no promise that God makes that he cannot fulfill. Sometimes I might make a promise that I don't even really think about before making the promise. And when I realize I just made a certain promise, wow, how am I going to do this? This is beyond me. But God never makes a promise that he cannot keep because of his power. And we'll look at that actually in just a little while as well. A school teacher named Everett R. Storms, in fact, of our own Kitchener, Ontario, here in Canada, who was a member of the United Missionary Church, when he was reading through the Bible for the 27th time in his life, decided to read it slower than normal, and it actually took him a year and a half. And in that year and a half, he logged 8,810 promises of God. And now we're not going to read all 8,810, okay? We gave 52 verses the other night, but uh, we won't do 8,810 promises of God. But there, I have, I have many of them here. I'm not going to use those today as part of the message, but whether there's 8,810 or whether there's however many there is, the point of the message is that we're looking today at the promise keeper. But we're not just looking at the promise keeper. We also want to make sure that we're recognizing that these promises are for us. These promises are for us. So let's, let's look at the outline here today. Number one, uh, the substance of promises. The substance of promises. What constitutes a promise? Now let's look at our text here. And the Bible says, Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. This is a book written to believers. And so, as a believer, as a follower of Jesus Christ, they have been given to us. The dictionary says that a promise is a declaration that one will do or refrain from doing something. You know, you, maybe your child has said, I promise, Mommy, I promise, Daddy, I won't do that again. You know, whether they really meant it or not, uh, they, they've used that statement. That's a promise, too. So it could be something that somebody does or something that somebody refrains from doing. A promise is the declaration of some benefit to the conferred. And so that would be us. Today, we are the conferred, if you will, as Peter says, and to us, you could circle that word us, that it's to, and you could maybe write a line and say, us means me, if you want. Because sometimes we look at us and we think of a whole group, which it is, but today, us also means me. These promises are for you. These promises are for me. The substance of a promise. It is the declaration of some benefit to the conferred. Now, all of God's promises are in written form. Let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Romans. Romans. Romans in chapter number 1. The promise keeper. The promise keeper. All of God's promises are in written form in His Word. This is why it's so important that you and I Take God's word, open it up every day, 
and say this prayer to the Lord from the word of God. Open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. And as we open thou our eye, as God opens our eyes, some of what we will find in the reading, maybe not every day, but some of what we will find in our reading will be promises. And when you come across a promise, maybe you ought to just slow down a little bit like our person did earlier that we were talking about. Maybe we ought to slow down a little bit and maybe we ought to reread that promise and maybe we ought to meditate and think about that promise. But you're going to find them as we read through God's word carefully. And, you know, another thing is to consider reading God's word on purpose and with purpose. So we read it on purpose every day, but we read it with purpose. And the purpose isn't just to finish. Whatever our schedule is for the day, the purpose is that it would find its place into our heart and that whatever we just read will immediately make a difference. And some of what we will read will be the promises of God. Look what it says in Romans chapter 1 and verse uh, number 1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated under the gospel of God. Now, notice this little parentheses within uh, this text, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Where did God make the promise? The Holy Scriptures, right, the Word of God. It was through the prophets, but it was in the Holy Scriptures. And so we find that the Word of God contains all of the promises of God, and we can trust them. This is the substance of the promise. This is where we find them. Now, let's look at a couple different words quickly, and that is the word fact and the word promise. The word fact and the word promise. When I think of a fact, a fact is something that is to be accepted as being actual, and therefore, it must be believed. Facts. Something that is to be accepted or be by, uh, are to be accepted as being actual, and therefore, must be believed. We'll give some examples in a minute. Then we have the word promise. What is the difference? A promise are to be received and claimed. They are to be received and claimed. What are some Bible facts to be believed? Okay, let me give you just a few of these quickly. I'm not expecting you to write all these down, but a couple of them are. Number one, God is light. That is a fact. That is not a promise that we have to claim. That is a fact that we receive. 1 John 1, 5. By the way, in this, the, uh, that song that we sang about uh, the Holy Spirit uh, came at Pentecost and it said that uh, about the dark days, dark is the hour. The darker the night, the brighter the light. Don't be discouraged by the darkness. Be encouraged by the fact that the darker it gets, the brighter the light of the gospel is going to shine. It's not my gospel. It's not my light. It's his light. And may we follow the song that says, send the light, the blessed gospel light. Let it shine. Hey, Canada needs light. Canada doesn't need help necessarily with, uh, uh, with, it, with her politicians. We need to pray for our politicians. What I'm saying is that's not the answer. The answer is not in, within a politician. The answer is in the people of God. The answer is in me getting closer to the Lord. The answer is in me saying, uh, it's me, it's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. The answer is me going to the word of God and letting the light of the gospel of God shine through me. So this is a fact that God is light. Another one is uh, God is love. That's a fact. 1 John 4, 16. 
God is love. Never forget that. And be thankful that God is love, that God loves us in spite of us. And may we take that love to others. God is faithful, 1 Corinthians 1, 9. These are facts. How about this? God is stronger than men. Amen for that. 1 Corinthians 1, 25. These are facts that are to be believed from the word of God. So that's the substance of the promise. The substance of the promise is the written word of God. And it never fails. Secondly, we see the simplicity of the promises. The simplicity of the promises. God states his promises clearly. We're going to go through several coming to that. God states his promises in the simplest words and, pra- and, and phrases. God, how, how is it that God is the great promiser? You know why God is the great promiser? Because God has a lot to give. There's no greater giver than God. There's no greater giver. There's no greater provider. Even though you go to work and praise God for hard work, even though we, we labor and we labor and we labor, it, it's not because of us. It's from the great provider. He's, got, he's the great promise giver, the promise keeper, because he's got a lot to give. And he's never going to run out. You know, his supply is endless. And I'm thankful for that. So God always states his promises. He is the great promiser because he has everything to give. He offers promises for blessings. He offers promises for the family. He offers promises for strength and eternal life. He offers promises for answer to prayer. And the list goes on and on. Now, some of God's promises are listed as warnings. Let's look at a few. Turn to Psalm 66, please. Not all of God's promises are listed as blessings that we claim and say, oh, okay, I need that one. You know, give and it shall be given unto you. That's a promise. We just studied that last week. That's a promise. And God will keep that promise. But sometimes the promises of God are warnings. And aren't you glad God loves us enough to warn us? He doesn't just say, okay, you're saved now. You're a follower of Jesus Christ. I hope you do your best job and head on down the road. Oh, some of these promises in here are warnings. And there are such glaring warnings that we don't want the devil to blind us from them. Number one is the, the, uh, 60, Psalm 66, 18. Many of us know this verse, but it's great to read it again. Follow along as I read it. It says, if I regard iniquity in my heart. Okay, so there is the warning. God says, if you regard, if I regard iniquity in my heart, what's the promise? The Lord will not hear me. To regard means to to hold close. You know, when you regard something, you protect it, don't you? You don't want anybody playing with it. (laughs) You don't want anybody touching it. And so, sadly, we can even become so in love with our sin that we regard it. We hold it close to us. And when anybody, when the word of God or the preacher or whoever uh, hits on our sin, oh my, it's an immediate, uh, you know, oh, I don't want to hear that because I regard that sin. I regard that bitterness. I regard that unforgiveness. I regard that whatever it may be. But let's not miss the promise. The promise is if I'm doing that, 
God will not hear me. Psalm chapter 1, we quote it every Friday night. Psalm chapter 1, there are promises. Let's turn there quickly. Psalm chapter 1. The promise keeper. Psalm chapter 1 is filled with them. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. Skip down to verse 5. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. The warning here within this chapter is don't walk with the ungodly. Don't walk with them. Because eventually you're not going to be just walking with them. You've seen that before, haven't you? Walking, standing, sitting. Verse 1, walking, standing, sitting. You're getting more comfortable. So you stop and you stand with them. And then you're really comfortable, and I'm really comfortable, and then what do I do? I sit with them. I think that's a progression of going too far with the ungodly, and God says, that's not for the Christian. That's not for the believer. Don't walk with the ungodly. Promises that come with a warning. How about Proverbs 29? Just, a, just one more maybe. Proverbs 29. Oh, is this ever a warning that I'm deeply challenged by time and time again in my life? But it's a promise. I don't want to be here. This is not one I want to be at. Because the book of Proverbs in chapter 29 and verse number 18 says, here's the promise. Where there is no vision, here's the promise. The people perish. Where there is no vision, Anchor Baptist Church, can I encourage you? Let's not lose the vision for glorifying God. The greatest vision is not reaching souls. The greatest vision is glorifying God. The greatest vision is God. God must always be our goal. And if God is always our goal, then I'm telling you what's going to happen is God's going to bring us to people that need the gospel and there's going to be opportunities to, to, to preach the gospel. I'm not saying that I'm anywhere near where I need to be in my vision. I need a greater vision. I want to tell you something. Yesterday, this was, to me, I look at these two examples as absolute miracles. Yesterday, we were just driving around, you know, Coquitlam, and we were trying to get to Burke Mountain. Anybody ever been up on Burke Mountain? Beautiful up there. And I remember going up there with the girls a couple of years ago, and uh, boy, there's some, there's some homes up there. My goodness, it'd take you about a week to clean them. There's so many square footage in those homes. And uh, driving up there, and we, we went all the way to the top as far as we could go, and I was trying to find that yesterday. Uh, to take dad and mom up there. And actually, Beck, I don't think, was, was with us on that adventure. And so we found it. Eventually, we found it. You can't drive any further. It's, uh, there's a bar, uh, a, a thing up, and you just can't go any further. But the view is unbelievable. Mount Baker and just everything to the east in that direction. And you can just see as far as the eye. But we got there. When we got there, there was some people there. There was a young man who was playing a guitar just picking his guitar, and it, it actually reminded us of our son-in-law picking his guitar. It sounded a lot like the way Moises plays his guitar, and there were some young ladies over there. And so we were just getting some pictures done, and then all of a sudden, you know, they started to leave, and the young man came right over to us, and he said, oh, would you want me to take your picture? And that's all it was. That request of taking a picture led to a conversation, 
of where he's from, what his family, some of his family needs. In fact, he, he, he comes from a country that speaks Farsi. He's from Afghanistan, lived here for 20 years. We found out that his sister and uh, three daughters live in Iran, and they're trying to immigrate to Canada. We found out that he lives in Syria. And I mean, this guy was just talking a mile a minute. We weren't even asking. Not that we didn't want to listen, but it's, it's amazing, honestly. Because sometimes we think nobody wants to talk about anything. Nobody especially wants to talk about the Lord. But it gave us an opportunity to go back to the car and get a gospel track. What's his name? Farouk. Foad, Foad, write that name down if you would. F-O-A-D, pray for him. He said, my wife's a Christian. Now, I don't know what that means. Christian can mean 15 different things sometimes. I'm not saying she's not saved, but my wife's a Christian. And, you know, and then he talked a little bit about some things. And, and uh, before we left, he, was, he took a track gladly. We, uh, we were also able to uh, pray with him about his family. And I don't know what that will ever amount to, maybe nothing. But I'm so thankful that God shows us that there are people. And again, my vision needs to grow. My vision needs to grow. I, I can't say that when we pulled up, I immediately thought, oh, we're going to have to give him a try. I was just there to look at the view. And God said, there's something more important than the view here, Ben. There's a soul right here. Where there is no vision, the people perish. I'm thankful that God helps us along that way, doesn't he? <laughs> and there's people in your life, don't lose the vision for them. You say, they'll never come. Don't say that. Don't think that. Cast down that imagination, 2 Corinthians 10, 5. Cast down that imagination in every high thing. Cast it down because that's not of the Lord. Keep that vision in front of you because where there, no, where there is no vision, the people perish. We see the... Substance of the promise. We see the simplicity of the promise. We see that some promises come in the form of a warning. But then we also see, number three, the surety of the promise. The surety. Behind every promise we have His Word, which is an oath of God who cannot lie. Let's go to Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1, the promise keeper. Titus, 1st, 2nd Timothy, Titus. Titus chapter 1. Paul, a servant of God, verse 1, and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect, and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness, this is a great verse to memorize if you haven't memorized it yet or definitely get it marked, put it in a notebook somewhere and look at it all the time. In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie, and then you circle that next word, promised. Promised. Before the world began, because we know that the Bible says that Christ was the Lamb of God slain from before the foundation of the world. This is a promise that God gives us. He doesn't lie. And so as we find a promise, we can claim it on the word of God. Now, when, does, when do the promises, when do, they, when do they get fulfilled? Well, Abraham was someone that had to wait years but the promise of a son was fulfilled. 
David was someone who was promised that he was going to be king and he had to wait several years. And so let us not use the promises of God against the very nature of God to say that you promised this and I want it now. That's not how we claim the promises of God. Because one of the warnings is in James 4.3, I skipped over it, but we don't want to ask amiss of the promises of God. Let's go to Lamentations chapter 3, the promise keeper. Lamentations chapter 3, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, the surety of the promises. We have the word of God and it is sure, Jeremiah, Lamentations. Chapter 3, verse 22, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. See, the Bible promises are promises of the deity of God. Bible promises are the promises of the faithfulness of God. So many times... We will not be faithful. We will break a promise. I'm not saying uh, out of spite or out of, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, being uh, whatever, but uh, just because we're humans. We are uh, finite. We're fallible. Whatever word you want to put in there, and we are prone to do that, but not our God, not the God that saved us, not the God that keeps us, not the God that is preparing a place for us. His mercies are new every morning. Great is His faithfulness. Now, there are two types of promises. I hope we're taking as much of this in as we can. Number one, there are unconditional and then there are conditional. There are unconditional and there are conditional. What is an unconditional? This means it is a commitment made without any exception. A commitment made without any exception. Then conditional. A conditional promise has certain mandates tied to it. Let's take our Bibles now and let's turn to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. Promises, the promise keeper. Romans chapter 10. This is probably a very familiar example, but if it's new... Great, it'll really help you to understand this. It helps me every time I read it. Romans chapter 10, verse number 9, the Bible says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Stop right there. That's the condition. So getting saved is not an unconditional promise. Getting saved is conditional. No one can say, I've always been a Christian. That's impossible. No one, there isn't anyone that has always been a Christian. It comes with a condition. What is the condition? Confess with thy mouth, believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. And then what do we have? We have the promise. What is the promise? You shall be saved. And it's guaranteed. Okay? It's not that there's anything else. By the way, there's nothing else. We can't add something to the promise. It is a conditional promise, but don't add anything to it. 
There's nothing there about getting baptized to be saved. Now, baptism is important, but there's nothing there about getting saved. There's nothing there about being a member of a church to get saved. No, it says, believe, confess with your mouth, believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, and then, just like that, you are a Christian. Now, it's not just like that for the Lord. It cost him everything, didn't it? He bled and died and took all of that on him, and, and it fulfilled the, the promise of God for the lost world, uh, Genesis 3.15, the very first mention of it. We read that verse on Wednesday night. And so when we turn to Christ and we make that, uh, we, we, we do that part that we play, if you will. Notice verse 10. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Verse 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. That's the condition. Shall be what? Saved. So that is a conditional promise. You believe that Jesus Christ, God's son, died on the cross. You believe that Jesus Christ lived a sinless life. He was buried after that. He rose again three days later. And you believe that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And you accept that gift by faith. Then the promise is fulfilled and you are saved. There's nothing else that can be added to it. Because if you add something else to it, it violates the word of God. And so that promise is not, it is void as well. Let's not add something to what God already says. So conditional or unconditional. We already read Titus chapter 1. Now we can trust God because the validity of a promise is dependent on the character and the ability of the one making the promise. So, let's think about what God is. Number 1, and we're just we're not going to re return to that text, but God is truthful. Titus 1:2. God is truthful. In hope of eternal life that God cannot lie, promised before the world began. God is truthful. Since truth is his very essence, he cannot lie. So I trust him. Number two, I'm dependent on this because God is faithful, as we mentioned a moment ago. You can jot this reference down, Hebrews 10, 23. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without, uh, without wavering, for he, uh, that would be God, is faithful, that promised. So I'm not dependent on the pastor for these promises. I'm not dependent on another brother or sister in Christ. I'm dependent on the promise keeper. I'm dependent on the faithful God. I'm dependent on the truthful God. And thirdly, he is immutable. That's a big word that means God doesn't change. So it doesn't matter how bad it gets, God's promises are for us today. We find that to be the case in Malachi 3 and verse 6. For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. God never alters a promise. A promise keeper. God's faithfulness. God's truthfulness. God's immutability. So, what do we do with this? This is great news. That God is... All-powerful, so there's no promise he can't provide. We use the word omnipotent. Psalm 103, 19. The Lord hath prepared his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom ruleth over all. Everybody, you know, there's a lot of people that have a kingdom today, but it's not like the kingdom of God. 
There's a lot of people that have a lot of power, but it's not like the power of God. He is omnipotent. He is omniscient, which means he is all-knowing. Hebrews 13, 5. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have, for he hath said, I will never leave thee. I will never forsake thee. God knows what you need this morning. And he's able to fulfill it. Um, um, omnipresent, excuse me, omnipresent, and then omniscient, Hebrews 4.13. Neither is there any creature that is not manifested in his sight, but all things are naked and opened. That's omniscient, sorry. God knows because all things are naked and open. We can, we, can, we can get everything all good and ready to go to church, you know. But God sees through everything. We can put up a whatever. You know how that works, right? We do that. We're guilty of that. But God doesn't, that doesn't fool God. He knows exactly what I need. He knows exactly what you need. He knows today if you need to be saved. Say, Pastor, I have a Bible today, and I have a, I, you know, I came to church. That doesn't mean you're saved. Have you accepted the gift of eternal life, as was said? Have you claimed that it's a conditional promise? God knows if you need to be saved this morning. Maybe this is the day, July 2nd, 2023, that you're going to, by faith, uh, accept Christ as Savior. Don't put it off. God's given you this day. God's given you this life to this point because he loves you. He knows if you have that need. So what is my responsibility? Well, I can't do any of God's part, but I do have a responsibility in this. So here we go quickly as to close. I must position myself properly to receive what he wants to give me. How do I do that? Number one. Number one, obedience. Obedience. It's great to read this book. It's even better to read this book and apply it. Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do. I want to position myself to have all the promises of God. And it's not so that I can have a bunch of, you know, for me, it, but they are for me. But obedience is so, is so crucial. If I've asked God for something and God hasn't provided it, what, what, what is the problem? Now, it could be that God is saying you don't need that. And so, we have to trust that God knows even what I need and I don't need it. So I still want to be faithful. I still want to be obedient. I'm positioning myself properly. Number two, so obedience. Number two, faith. Faith. This is an indispensable requirement. I mean, we might look around us today and we might see different things that are weakening our faith if we look at them too long. Don't look at them. Look at the finisher of your faith. The Bible says Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. Look at the finisher of your faith. Look at the author. of This is how I'm positioning myself. I want to be obedient to God's word. I want to have, I want to have great faith that the promise of God will be fulfilled in God's time. That it isn't just for a select group. It's for me. And, then, and thirdly, claim the promise. 
claim the promise. If I believe what the Lord says he will do, claim the promise. He's not going to change his mind. He's not going to go in a different way for you than he has for somebody else. Claim the promise. When you come to a promise in the Bible, say, God, okay, this, I believe that this is you and you're leading me to this promise. You put me to this place. I want to claim the promise. The greatest unconditional promise is for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That is an unconditional promise. God loves you. You don't have to do anything for God to love you. It's unconditional. And the greatest conditional promise is what we talked about earlier, Romans 10, 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. God has a promise for you today. 8,000 plus. Find one. Find five. Five, ten. Find a hundred. God knows what you need. He's all-knowing. He's omniscient. God is with you. He's omnipresent. And God is more than capable. He's omnipotent of fulfilling every promise. He is the great promise keeper. Be thankful. Be thankful. Let's go to the Lord again.